Hello, my name is Justin McClure and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And today we're talking about plasticine animation, not claymation, because that's copyrighted. Wait, I didn't realize that. This isn't claymation. Uh, Claymation does exist, but it was copyrighted by the guy who created the California Raisins. Gromit! Gromit! Yes, this week we're talking about Nick Park. I don't think we can talk about Nick Park without talking about Ardman Animation a little bit as well. Yeah, Nick Park is kind of their Miyazaki, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, Ardman Animation was a company that was created by two friends who just loved animation. And they started by creating this character called Morph that was really popular in the UK. He was on like a sketch show doing like interstitial, like The Simpsons. And eventually Nick Park got involved with them and they did commercials and music videos and stuff like that that because that's where the real money is uh if you're an animator not these big feature films but nick park is most famous for like will just screamed out in agony wallace and gromit something that seemingly played on pbs every time you visit your grandparents house what was your relationship with wallace and gromit growing up i didn't really have one I think I just stated it, that it was playing on television when I was visiting grandparents or, you know, a stepmom's sister who was a real, like, anglophile. It, Wallace and Gromit seemed to be on all the time there. I don't know. As a kid, it seemed like a little too slow paced to me. And the novelty of stop motion, it didn't really like make an impact because it felt like, well, I could just get stop motion wherever I want. Look, James and the Giant Peach, The Nightmare Before Christmas. It'll always be like this, right guys? Well, uh, you say slow paced, but I mean, we are talking about the director who made one of the all time greatest action sequences, which is the train chase at the end of the wrong trousers. The thing is that like watching them to Today, the slow-paced uh, reaction that I had was only because I was mainlining Saturday morning cartoons, and this isn't like Mummies Alive, my favorite TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Park's uh, magic is that he can somehow meld the grotesque and by that i mean all the human beings in his animated shorts with the everyday and these crazy slapstick set pieces the bedrock of nick parks and ardman animations international reputation are a couple of short films made between 1989 and 1995 uh, there's creature comforts which won an oscar which is uh, a claymation mockumentary about a bunch of zoo animals talking about their lives and living arrangements, as well as the first three Wallace and Gromit shorts, A Grand Day Out, The Wrong Trousers, and A Close Shave. So uh, Nick Park, I believe he has four Oscars because he won for Chicken Run as uh, well, right? Not Chicken Run, but he, he won for two of the Wallace and Gromit movies. He beat himself and won an Oscar for Creature Comforts. That's right. And he also has one for Curse of the Oh, that one best animated film? That's good. It did. There was no there was no Pixar movie out that year. And uh... in fact, it beat Tim Burton's Corpse Bride, which must have been the last year when there were two high profile stop motion animated uh films. Let's be honest, Corpse Bride is a pale imitation of Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> well, we all know that. But I'll tell you about my relationship with Wallace and Gromit. I loved them. I had those three shorts on VHS. I watched them 
a, a lot, like in, incessantly for a couple years. Will, what should you watch? Mr. Bean or Wallace and Gromit? How do I make the choice? <laughs> it's true. There was certain whimsical British entertainments were all the rage among school children, at least in Canada in the 90s. Uh, that's because we're part of the Commonwealth, Will. You know, watching these movies again now, I still like them very much, by the way. And I was thinking, uh, what is it? You know, what is it that I loved about them as when I was a kid and what do I gravitate towards now? And first, I'll just say what these are in the off chance that there's somebody listening who doesn't know who Wallace and his chum Gromit are. Uh, Wallace is a somewhat geeky, somewhat nerdy, uh, somewhat abrasive middle-aged middle-class englishman who likes cheese and sweater vests cheese uh yes his his main defining characteristic is that he likes cheese and that he's bald and he has his little canine friend gromit who does not speak but like snoopy before him his eyes communicate so much not only does he not speak he doesn't even have a mouth he doesn't smile, he doesn't frown. It's all about the brows and his eyes that communicates everything. Which is great. He's like Buster Keaton. In their first adventure, A Grand Day Out, they're looking for somewhere to go on a bank holiday weekend where they might get cheese. And they realize that the moon is made of cheese. And Wallace is a uh, a prolific tinkerer, an inventor. So he goes down to his basement and he makes a rocket and they travel to the moon where they eat the moon cheese, which... Just like British colonists would. Well, you know, they don't stay on the moon. They're only going as a vacation. Uh, but they do run into the ire of a refrigerator-type space alien who wants nothing more than to go to Britain. Specifically, go skiing. That's right. But he realizes that he can st still ski on the moon. And that's basically the plot of it. And... The shorts get more complex after that. I think the issue I have was this one, and it, this is probably the one I saw the most when I was a kid, and that I associate with the kind of like grungy look. Nick Park did most of the animation by himself before Ardman swooped in and helped out with their own animators, is that it doesn't really have a thematic drive. It's just the funny idea of like, what if a guy and his dog built a spaceship and went to the moon? All the stuff was like, the machine that they meet seems just kind of disconnected. There's no real conflict or anything like that. It's just, you know, charming. Well, it's a demo reel, basically, for his talents. And, and also, if you'd never seen Wallace and Gromit before, it's, you know, kind of a cute introduction to these eccentric characters and i mean i appreciate this movie more now as an adult probably it was my least favorite as a kid but i appreciate it more now because it's the roughest looking of them each wallace and gromit movie gets progressively better looking and i sort of like the almost primitive handcrafted look of it i mean i love that all of these wallace and gromit movies you can see thumbprints in the clay even the slick jeffrey katzenberg produced curse of the Were rabbit so I do like A Grand Day Out, but, you know, The Wrong Trousers is, I think, considered the masterpiece of the three. And I think it's because Nick Park realized that by putting Wallace and Gromit within the context of a Hitchcockian thriller, that's how you make it work. That this kind of kitchen sink, working class environment works best when you 
introduce like these wild angles, this super melodramatic music, and in the wrong trousers, one of the greatest action scenes of all time. Well, the very idea of Wallace and Gromit starring in any sort of movie, let alone a Hitchcockian thriller, is inherently funny. Like, they're some of the most normal animated characters who have ever been conceived. Uh, so, so just like the opening bit where you hear their jaunty theme music and you see their pictures on the wall, and then the music turns darker, and you know, there's like a the Hitchcockian you know da, 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 like that like that's funny and i gotta mention that the villain of the wrong trousers is also one of the greatest villains of all time because it's just a penguin and he doesn't even like do anything he doesn't emote it's just a little penguin with beady black eyes for the entire movie who at one point pulls a real gun on gromit or is it wallace one of them you know this is something that i think i liked a lot as a kid i mean i still like it but you assume that kids are naturally going to gravitate towards things that are very loud and busy. But, you know, kids have relationships with their pets. Pets have their own personalities. Pets think and, you you know, you can communicate with them, but they don't give you a lot. And I think kids gravitate towards these characters, the Penguin and Gromit, much the same way they do their own pets. When you were a kid, did you realize that wallace sucks as much as he does no i didn't and that definitely came home <laughs> hit home for me this time because i mean gromit you know he does everything for him and anytime wallace gets into any sort of trouble like that part where he's in the trousers and like and he's just screaming gromit's name it's like figure it out yourself why is it gromit's responsibility to help you? something else i think i liked about these movies growing up was you know, a lot of children's entertainment is set in fantastical worlds uh, with a lot of magic and a lot of busyness and uh, lasers and shit like that. But these characters have normal, unglamorous lives and they like activities like knitting and gardening and they drink tea and Wallace has financial worries. And when you're a kid, you have very limited mobility. You spend a lot of time in your own house, and that home can become a magical world for you, or you project a magical world onto that home because it's all you have. Under the bed can be like a, a very scary place. The, the closet can be a scary place. I was going to say, just like the classic under the bed horror film, Little Monsters, starring Howie Mandel, <laughs> available now from Best Drawn Video. I've actually never seen Little Monsters. We should do a Howie Mandel Patreon episode. Oh, no. <laughs> But I also think that, like, for North Americans, Wallace and Gromit does feel foreign. This kind of, like, the UK and these customs and look and feel that are not something that, you know, you run into every day. Because as a kid, you still want something a little bit different, but you don't want it always to be so different. Like you said, that you're, like, fighting a dragon or something like that. Sometimes you just want a guy obsessed with cheese. Yeah, it's true. They, they're British archetypes in these movies like in the curse of the were rabbit the feature film wallace and gromit are surrounded i mean it's the first one where we see wallace and gromit living in a community and all the people around them you know they're kind they're kind of like the simpsons <laughs> yeah the simpsons but also also like hot fuzz or something like that it's like a very cartoonish depiction of a rural british community where there's like the 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 preacher and you know little old ladies and watching these shorts there's also a kind of 
you know, there's a love for the characters, but also some criticism because I think Nick Park knows how lame Wallace is. You just got to look at Gromit's reactions, like rolling his eyes. Can't believe he has to do this again. And like Wallace doesn't even seem to appreciate him that much. But, you know, Wallace is a genius in his way. He came up with the bed machine that like wakes him up in the morning and, you know, makes him fall through the floor. But Gromit has to do it for him anyways. He's like, Gromit, it's your turn for the porridge. It's like, oh boy. Uh, listen, Justin, uh, I've had enough of this Wallace bashing. Uh, Gromit is Wallace's pet. Uh, Wallace owns him. So uh, think about that. I mean, considering how much mobility and intelligence that Gromit shows, I think there should be an uprising of some sort in Nick Park's brain. Well, I mean, we saw that halfway through the wrong trousers, Gromit goes off to live on his own and he ends up homeless on the street. So, you know, that that goes to show you what life is like without without a Wallace to help guide you. Yeah, it's almost like the whole system is rigged for white middle class males. <laughs> so uh, moving on, there is a few other shorts that Wallace and Gromit started. They're good. They're just variations on the wrong trousers. I mean, these shorts take a long time to make. What I heard as a kid was that it took a day to make six seconds of usable film. Ooh, that's very generous, I think. Well, but but there may be a little bit of like fudging in those numbers just because like each new Wallace and Gromit movie would have double the amount of crew members. Like 40 people worked on a close shave and 20 people worked on the wrong trousers. So like, I'm sure they were shooting six seconds uh, all simultaneously. Yeah, it wasn't just like one Wallace and Gromit figurine that they had that they each took turns bending. But isn't it amazing just like the level of storytelling in these short films? Because they're 30 minutes long and like the wrong trousers packs a full emotional experience in those 30 minutes. It- I mean, you watch those 30 minutes and you're like, why aren't all movies like this? Well, yeah, because it just very concise through visual storytelling establishes in the first five minutes what the Wallace and Gromit relationship is, how it works, uh, what they like and dislike about each other, what the tensions are, what the fault lights are. And then the penguin comes in at like the five or six minute mark to disrupt it. I mean, that's what all of these shorts are, which is like normal situation. New figure comes into the mix and is usually evil or a uh, robot cyber dog. <laughs> but you're right, too, that these movies were kind of exotic. And it's hard to imagine, you know, a, a Hollywood animated franchise being built around just a normal working or middle class, you know, guy who's kind of dorky and likes cheese. And like, doesn't have a wife. He's not widowed or anything like that. He's just a sad, lonely bachelor who's probably never had sex. And in fact, he has a chance at love in a cliche, but he turns her away because she doesn't like cheese. You don't like cheese. I mean, she's allergic. Come on, Wallace. Cut her some slack. But these movies these characters they are the anti-poochie you know there's something very authentically strange about them uh that that i respect and love these characters aren't focus grouped they're just very eccentric ideas that this particular crew of animators had that caught the world because they were unique and uh-oh they're very successful they've won multiple oscars knock knock hollywood is here it's dreamworks animation jeffrey katzenberg steven spielberg hey could you guys make an animated film for us yeah so did you see chicken run when it came out i did and i remember not liking it very much and watching yeah. it recently i know why it's very dour <laughs> 
There's a lot of hopelessness in the movie. Uh, it's basically a parody of The Great Escape. Yeah, but as a kid, I had no context for that. So uh, the, the chickens at this sinister chicken farm, you know, live a life of slavery, basically. And the chicken farm, which only specializes in eggs, has decided to implement sinister new measures to also specialize in serving meat. So they're fattening up all the chickens for the kill. And the chickens who have been made to look by Nick Park and his team. Um, I, I should also say that the movie is co-directed by uh, Steve Box. They've been made to look like kind of dowdy, middle-aged housewives, you know? <laughs> yes, that's true. But they have to create a scheme to escape. And who comes but uh, American superstar Mel Gibson as... Uh, this this showboating rooster American superstar well yeah I know he's Australian but it's like there's even a joke about it in the movie where a chicken goes I don't even think he's American it's it's funny to hear Mel Gibson's voice in it because it feels almost like I mean Mel Gibson's fine you know whatever but it feels like an intrusion into this very pure an authentic Ardman world. It's like, okay, well, this is like the money man are telling us we have to have an American character and an American star. So here he is. I mean, watching it again recently, I think it's super fun. Oh yeah. As a kid, I think if I had seen it maybe a little bit earlier, I would have probably loved it and forced my parents to watch it over and over and over again. Cause it's a world that's just fun hanging out with, but there's also a sense of danger that as a kid, you want to experience that. I don't know if this makes sense, but in Chicken Run and in most of the Wallace and Gromit movies, I feel that Nick Park and his collaborators have a, a real love of, you know, the simple, the handmade, the handcrafted. Like things start to go south in Chicken Run when when they want to turn this farm into a big business, when they want to introduce this this big machine that'll kill all the chickens. It's already bad enough, but it's a different thing when it's just a simple like farm. I don't know. I, I think I see a skepticism in these films towards like big business. Yeah. Or the commercialization of this animation. I mean, the thing that people don't think about is that like animation is something that's principally done overseas, like the nuts and bolts of it. Know why? Because they don't have unions and it's super cheap. Like even the Simpsons, it's not animated in North America. It hasn't been for decades. While Ardman animation is all done by the specific artists within like uh, the home base. They don't ship it off to be done by a bunch of people. It's that handmade, oh, we're in control of it. And that it's a piece of art that we are constructing ourselves. It's evident in, I think, every project that they've made. The success of Chicken Run, which I think, to date is the only successful or box office wise successful Ardman film in the United States. It's the most successful stop motion animation film ever made. But it led to DreamWorks commissioning a Wallace and Gromit feature film um, and with the curse of the were rabbit from 2005, which I watched again this week and I thought was thoroughly delightful. Uh, loved every second of it. Did you enjoy it? Loved it. I think that they actually figured out a really um, key problem with the Wallace and Gromit characters, which is you cannot spend 90 minutes with Wallace. You just can't. <laughs> so they find a way to kind of like keep him involved, but also eliminating him so he's not screaming Gromit for the last half of the movie. I like Chicken Run a lot, but I feel like Wallace and Gromit, the curse of the were-rabbit is a purer experience. It feels like being really immersed in this Ardman world of absurd and like kind of square British archetypes, like, you know, uh, Lady Tottingham, the uh, 
portrayed by Helena Bonham Carter or her scoundrel of a fiance voiced by Ray Fiennes or all the townsfolk. Like it's this little eccentric world, this kind of Pee Wee's Playhouse world that these people live in. And the way that they could approach it as a horror film, like a pastiche of it without coming out and being an all out parody is just great. I mean, the film is about a character who turns into a rabbit when the moon is full and it's still fun and it's still treated with a kind of reverence that you can only get when you have to animate this all yourself (laughs) and give it your all to be able to bring it to the screen. Isn't it just so delightful to look at? Like, doesn't every frame just have something charming and amusing in it? You know, the way the characters' mouths move, the way they they all have a little overbite. I mean, that's like that Nick Park touch that all his character designs, except for the animals, are all grotesque. Like uh, Wallace's mouth, which only became the norm in the second short, I believe, because Nick Park realized that when he made his character say, cheese, it looked really funny. So he made his face like that all the time. And that extends to every human being that you see in uh of the were rabbit you know that's why wallace's favorite cheese is wensleydale too because it would give him a big toothy like big toothy grin whenever he would say it and apparently because his favorite cheese was wensleydale the the chief manufacturer of that cheese in the united kingdom was saved from bankruptcy because whenever these things would air people would buy a bunch of wensleydale like wallace and gromit is so big in the uk it is like an institution there are like rides at just dedicated to the characters which is so funny it seems like a parody in a show where it's like ugh, wallace and gromit do calypso come on yeah there's a whole industry there are video games of wallace and gromit you know just a normal british guy and his normal dog who took the world by storm but just like anything that's really popular someone's gonna try to step in and say hey listen you're doing it wrong this thing that has won three oscars let us note you to death and that's what happened to dreamworks i think they had signed a four or five picture deal with them supposedly they tried to note them to death on chicken run and when they were making the wallace and gromit movie they were like does it have to be this british and it's like, if I was Nick Park, I would like be pointing to the three Oscars I have. I mean, I, I don't know what compromises had to be made in the making of Curse of the Were-Rabbit, but it feels like a very pure vision. It feels like the movie they got to make after the success of Chicken Run. And I don't think, I, I mean, uh, aside from maybe Shaun the Sheep, I don't think the other Aardman feature films after that have ever been quite so pure. Well, what happened after it is they had another movie that were supposed to deliver to DreamWorks and DreamWorks said, no more stop motion. It's too expensive. You got to do it with CGI. And that's what flushed away. That's how that came about. And that was not successful. And there have been a few others since then that weren't all that successful, like the the Pirates. And um, there was that one uh, early man, which I saw the, the caveman comedy, which I saw. And, you know, it's OK. It's like when an A student delivers a B paper. I think it's a case of uh, they wasted some years after Flushed Away. And because Arthur Christmas is also CG. I like that movie a lot. That's another Armin project. But that kind of like physical nature of the claymation, I think even for kids, it makes a big difference. They can tell the difference. And that kind of field lived in world, the organic nature of it. There's a real impact that it has on kids. And the Pirates one, I think it was maybe just something that's felt too generic it's like pirates okay i guess right <laughs> and at that point uh Leica had kind of swooped in and was making their own uh claymation slash stop motion movies it's interesting to me that given 
you know, all the crap that parents will take their kids to that the Aardman movies, aside from Chicken Run, never quite caught on in the United States. I'm not sure what to attribute that to. Is it that is it that they seem just a little bit too uh, quaint or you know, some of some of what I gravitate to and what I think kids gravitate to in the Wallace and Gromit cartoons is the way they find the excitement and the wonder in the everyday. You know, the, the, the fact that a normal house in suburban or rural England can contain all of these wonders and surprises and doohickeys and, and this and that. But I don't know, maybe parents, when they're looking for things to take their kids to, the, the, uh, or even kids, when they're badgering their parents to see things, there's a lack of there, there's a lack of urgency to the charming world, the whimsical world that Aardman represents. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Sean the Sheep, though, is huge. And it's because they were also able to turn it into a TV show that has run five seasons at this point, maybe even more. And it's also, there's a kid's kid's version, like for little kids, that stars the baby sheep from the TV show. I was just looking on Netflix. That's where all the Ardman stuff is now. And I was like, whoa, there's so much Ardman stuff that they've been able to kind of diversify and use different animators on that still feels purely like their product. I mean, Shaun the Sheep, I Nick Park didn't direct any of the Shaun the Sheep movies, but it is an extension of his kind of ethos and the the feel of the Wallace and Gromit movies extended into a world where nobody talks. I'm sad to say that Peter Salas, the actor who did the voice of Wallace, has passed away recently. He lived to his 90s, so it's possible that we've seen the last of Wallace and Gromit. We have not. Uh, Nick Park is currently working on a Wallace and Gromit short as, we, as we're as we recording this. Wow, okay. Well, they're back. <laughs> uh, they got a bunch of sound-alikes uh, to do the video games and stuff, so they'll probably grab one of those guys in. I mean, Peter Salas was old when he recorded the first short, so... <laughs> I know, yeah. So anyway, I had a great time revisiting these these shorts, and... It was great to tap into that sense of uh, childlike wonder and uh, just remind myself of the parts of the parts of my brain that I no longer activate that much. You know, the, the parts of my brain that find wonder in the everyday and excitement to the mundane, uh, they can still be alive and well when I immerse myself in the world of Wallace and Gromit. So, as per usual, if you want to send us any letters, you can do so by emailing us at importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. And as for letters, we have one from Cres Bay. He goes, I saw the Jerry Lewis telethon is coming back with Kevin Hart as the host. Will, thoughts? And when do you guys think it will be safe to see movies in a theater again? Well, look, I'm always happy when the legacy of Jerry Lewis is honored and extended. I know that there are many disabled activists who have argued that the Jerry Lewis telethon was demeaning to them over the years. They've argued that Jerry Lewis and MDA presented an image of disabled people as being pitiable and that this is something that they fear the revived telethon will continue to partake in. And I think that's a very fair concern. And I hope uh, I, I hope that the new the new and improved Jerry Lewis telethon uh, will will address that. That's my thought. Why is it like a reboot of Jerry Lewis Telethon? Can't Kevin Hart just do a telethon? Why does it have to be an extension of the Lewis brand? You know, I think it's just because that telethon was so iconic for so many years. And that telethon raised so much money for MDA. Like that was their chief fundraising tool. So 
like any franchise reboot, they want to hook into people's memories as a way to uh, get money. And you were watching uh, some of the old Jerry Lewis telesons recently because a uh, important cinema club listener made a stream of them that just ran endlessly. Yeah, there's this website called the Museum of Home Video that had a stream on Labor Day weekend for, you know, a whole day of just old Jerry Lewis telethon moments. And uh, I watched it and it was so much fun. I enjoyed it so much. I, I encourage people to check out. Hang on. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Let me stop you there. You said it was so much fun and you enjoyed yourself. But did you genuinely enjoy what Jerry Lewis was doing? Or did you more react in horror, wondering how people could have enjoyed him at you know this period well you know like it like anything it's complicated i think horror and actual unironic enjoyment are densely <laughs> intertwined as they often are in in the the saint jerry lewis's work this stream played the last hour of the 1978 jerry lewis telethon where uh, sammy davis jr came out and performed and robert blake made a guest appearance and you know jerry and sammy did some shtick together and they had some heart to heart moments where Jerry was like, that man, if you look up friends in the dictionary, you will find that man. And it's like, these are people who only know how to speak in show business cliches, but th that's how they express themselves. So the feelings are real and it's hard to tell where phoniness and reality ends. And uh, they're also like very talented, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. is a great entertainer. Jerry Lewis is a great entertainer. And the line between good and bad, uh, tacky and real and phony and powerful and beautiful, it all it all falls apart in the last hour of the 1978 Jerry Lewis telethon. People should check it out. It's on YouTube. And when will we be going back to the movie theaters? I don't know. No time soon. Yeah, man. I don't know. <laughs> uh, how about this? When the virus gets under control and it's not shooting upwards like it's currently doing in Canada and in North America, really. Well, here in Ontario, they open schools and, you know, that seems to be going as you would expect it would go. Yeah, looking at the cover of a newspaper, which, of course, I don't buy newspapers. I just walk by them and look at the <laughs> the the boxes where I guess people still put money in them and take them out. Uh, they had that graph that's just shooting upwards. So that's fun. So yeah, no movie theater anytime soon. And I mean, it, studios aren't really putting any movies out. Well, they put out Tenet. Eh, didn't need to see that. I mean, I have to say, I'm, I was excited to see the new James Bond movie. I was thinking of, you know, maybe maybe taking my life into my own hands and going to see that in November. But I'm not so sure anymore, to tell you the truth. It'll be delayed, you know? Uh, yeah, I think the virus is going to be real bad in November since the schools have all reopened and that stuff is traveling all over the place. I mean, so. really, the thing that I'm most upset about is like, you know, it's going to get cold soon. It's not like we can hang out in parks anymore. I mean, fuck, what are we going to... What are we gonna do? As it said on that uh, mysterious newspaper, I refuse to pay for to pull out and read. Things are about to get real ugly, says scientists. <laughs> so, as per usual, you can send us letters at important cinema club podcast at gmail.com. And our next letter goes Hey, Justin and Will. I've really been enjoying going through your episodes after the podcast was recommended to me by my friend Will, who once emailed you about Cynthia Rothrock. I really like your two episodes on Jess Franco and have become the tentatively explored filmography starting with Bloody Moon. Very satisfying. This episode reminded me of a story when I worked at HMV here in the UK. The security guard at the time was a big film fan, but not a cinephile, if you get what I mean. He was mainly interested in horror, but I'd claimed to have seen all the English language horrors that we had in the store. 
<laughs> All right, buddy. We had a copy of Venus and Furs, which he asked me about. Hadn't seen it, but I knew the director was one of some notoriety, so I told him to give it a go, which he did. I saw him and he explained in great detail what the film was about, but seemed completely baffled and bemused about what he had seen, but wasn't disappointed or angry about me wasting his time. Maybe he was just hiding his anguish to be polite, or could have genuinely been intrigued. I'm not in contact with him anymore, but I'd like to think he had accidentally watched a handful of other Franco films, and is still completely perplexed as to what he has seen. Anyway, keep up the good work, and just for the hell of it, I'd like to see an episode on Alejandro Jodorowsky, Alan Clark, or Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> uh, I can honestly say we've never had that request before. Never. I don't think it has even crossed our lips as a joke. Hey, Honey Boy was pretty good, wasn't yeah, it was pretty good. We can watch that film that he ripped off of a comic book, the short that he directed. I'm glad that man had a good experience with Venus and Furs. And it just goes to show you that, uh, I mean, the, the letter writer refers to him as, uh, I guess, a movie fan, not a cinephile. Me, I, I don't make distinctions like that. I think we're all one family under the sun. Uh, if somebody tells me that they've seen every English language horror film ever made, I'm like, uh-oh. Actually, it's true. <laughs> I, I don't think we're all uh, the same under the sun. I think I'm kind of a benevolent monarch. When was the last time you recommended something to someone and the reaction was one of bemused disgust? Bemused disgust. Or just like shock or like, not for me. That was you know, weird. It hasn't happened lately, but uh, I'll, get, I'll get back to you on that because I know it has happened. I remember recommending when I was a teenager, I remember saying how much I liked Bad Santa and my parents going to see it and hating it. The worst thing ever. And I can't summon an anecdote about it just right now because I can't remember. But it's when you show somebody, when you get somebody on the couch, then you put the movie in and say, you're going to love this. And then they don't love it. <laughs> yeah, the, the worst. And you can just feel it. You can feel the, the pressure in the room. That's why I don't share things with anybody anymore. You know, I just want to be alone. I think that it's not a problem for us anymore because we're not in high school where we have to pick certain friends that we hang out with oh that actually that's that's an example i remember showing some friends in high school fantasy mission force <laughs> yeah you've shared that story before and it, yeah it didn't go as well as i'd hoped yeah that's why when i was a kid in high school i would show my friends only scenes for movies thanks to the magic of computers so they didn't have to sit through 90 minutes of it and be like what the hell was that oh, you know what maybe the security guard has another story maybe his name is Stephen Thrower, and he went on to write a book about just Franco. I bet that's the case. You know, he doesn't have to still be uh, perplexed. He could have learned about it and, you know, appreciate it in the present. All right, so as per usual, you can send us letters at importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. And what are we doing on our Patreon this week, Will? Well, we are talking about James Bond, 007, Spy with a License to Kill, Shaken Not Stirred. Uh, it's like listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. We'll watch Die Another Day, Casino Royale, and Quantum of Solace. So we basically talk about all three in one and episode. And just our thoughts about James Bond in general, which... We've not talked about it on the podcast. We have never done a James Bond episode. We haven't. I think we've spoken about it in passing, maybe in response to a letter, but not at length like we did on the Patreon episode, which you can listen by becoming a patron. And this is the months to do it because we're aiming for 300 patrons. There's a poll up of if we hit 300, me and Will will do a special episode where we watch five movies. Now, on the website, you can vote which one you want us to do. There's three choices. One of them is correct. Two of them are wrong. I don't want to play my hand or anything like that, but the choices are the last five Ernest movies, Shrek, or some video game movies. Who knows what they will be? Video game movies from the 90s. Let's be fair to the poll. And video game movies are winning right now. 
But hey, you know what the placeholder. You know what we want to win, if I can put my thumb on the scale here, we want the Ernest movies to win. <laughs> yes, I, please. I want to watch five Ernest movies, and I want to do it right now. This was a loyalty test, everybody. But yeah, uh, the last five Ernest movies, which I admitted on the last podcast, I, th- I think I've seen one of them. I haven't seen four of them. So Well, I've seen them all. and uh, If I don't watch them now, I'm never going to watch them. Don't keep me from these Ernest movies, guys. I know that some people actually want to torture us, and that's why they, they're picking But the it's not going to be fun. Have you guys ever listened to an episode where Will doesn't want to talk Talk about the movies we watched. It sucks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it's true. That poll is up. Please vote for Ernest. Uh, but we'll do whatever you tell us to do if we hit 300. Yeah, I picked five video game movies if that's what wins. And there's some fun ones in there. We'll have fun. Yeah. So next week on the podcast, we are going back to the art house. We're talking about a legendary experimental filmmaker, but really a legendary experimental film promoter, uh, personality, tour, a friend of everybody from Andy Warhol to Yoko Ono to Stan Brakhage to Jackie Kennedy herself. We're talking about Jonas Mikas, the founder of the Anthology Film Archives and the most famous practitioner of what is called the Diary Film. So I think we'll look at uh, probably two of his movies. Uh, One of them is Walden. Three hours. Three hours, but a lot of fun stuff in there. It's a kaleidoscopic vision of the 60s where you see lots of famous people, lots of not famous people, lots of stuff that he had a camera on for. I I think we should also take a look at one of his later efforts, his documentary about Martin Scorsese on the set of The Departed. And... Uh, Let's also talk a little bit about some of his writing, because there's a great book uh, that is a collection, I know Justin has it, of his movie journal, which was his column in The Village Voice, where he talked about his battles against censorship, because he was arrested for showing Scorpio Rising, and I think he was maybe arrested for showing some other, you know, more sexually explicit experimental films as well, and we'll just sort of consider his legacy, Sounds like fun. I look forward into digging in. And until next week, my name is Justin the Clue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. I was looking at the box office charts this week. Tenet is the number one movie in America for the second week in a row. So congratulations, Christopher Nolan. Congratulations, Warner Brothers. But it's leading the box office with something like $6 million down from its $20 million opening. And so, and look, I understand that uh, theaters are socially distanced. You know, some of them are with 30% capacity. Uh, A lot of theaters are still closed. These are still, though, the number, not the numbers that Warner Brothers would like to see. Could this be the return Two more mid-tier movies, Will? Uh, That actually wasn't going to be the question I asked, although it's maybe a good question, and maybe it ties into the question I was going to ask, because I was wondering if theaters are doomed. And if theaters are doomed, does that mean more mid-tier movies on on streaming, basically? Because I, I see Tenet out there now. And I, you would think that, you know, this is a big movie by Christopher Nolan, one of the few directors that everybody can name. Yeah, but people don't want to die. That's why people are going to the cinema. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people, people, people don't want to die. And obviously that's been proven. I don't want to die. I haven't been to see it. But you would think that there would be enough people out there who miss going out, uh, miss the communal movie going experience or whatever to to risk it. But apparently there are not. And that's that's interesting. And I wonder, like, if this goes on for long enough, 
um are all these places going to go out of business and are people just going to get out of the habit of seeing movies like are people's brains being rewired to uh expect to see this stuff on streaming on demand right now to want to text through it and they they will decide oh you know what uh i like this better and i'm out of the habit of going to movies so maybe i'll just never go to a theater again i'm gonna say no and i'll tell you why because everybody's miserable right now like this is not a normal right and i think it would be different if tenant opened when things had been like oh you know numbers are down people aren't getting sick and then people are still not going to movie theaters oh boy this could be a problem as opposed to the virus is raging in north america and there's like thousands of people that are dying every day. Hey, do you want to go see a movie? No, no, that's, that's the last thing I would want to yeah, do. Yeah, I guess I just wonder. I mean, I think you're right. And there are a lot of benefits that everybody agrees are benefits to going to the movie theater. Comedies are funny. You're in a theater. It's a cheap date. It's a chance to get out of the house. But I guess I wonder if people are going to grow so accustomed. Like people are miserable. I know. But like, just look at you. You didn't go to Tenant, but you would have loved to go, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would have loved to go. It. Yeah. So there's probably like thousands of Wills out there who are thinking the same thing. <laughs> but it's just it's just that they're like, it's not safe to go out, even though they're telling me that it's safe or they're opening because they're a big business and they don't care if they kill me. <laughs> As long as I pay for my movie ticket. And also the whole discourse surrounding Tenet has been, um, this is the movie that we're going to need to do well to save theaters and you may die if you go see it, but you may not. And that's very, very different than the sort of discourse cycle that normally gets people out to the movies. Like if a new Avengers movie comes out, the discourse cycle is, ooh, uh, what's going to happen in this Avengers movie? But Tenet didn't have that. Tenet's reaction, too, was like, eh, this is not very good. <laughs> also, like, the, the trailers, the publicity materials for Tenet, like, there, there's an air of mystery around it. So people don't know what they're going to get out of Tenet, and people probably don't want to risk their lives for something they don't know what they're going to get. <laughs> Could this turn uh, be the death of the chain movie theater, though? Could movie theaters, like, only open at, like, 6 o'clock instead of, you know, starting to show movies at noon in the middle of the day? Well, apparently the Paramount Decree was overturned a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. We talked about it, didn't we? Did we talked about it. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe chain movie theaters will go out of business over the next year, and then Disney and Amazon will create their own theatrical chains where they show Spider-Man movies. You know what I learned? The Paramount Decree killed theatrical cartoons. Really? That because of the Paramount Decree, they stopped doing cartoons because nobody wanted to book them and they cost too much to make. Huh, interesting. Did not know that. Yeah, so maybe this will be the return of theatrical cartoons in movie theaters. Well, probably not, because... Uh, theater owners don't want them because uh, because they want people out buying popcorn at that time and they want to fit as many showings in an evening as they can. So let's just return to the grindhouse where or, you know, movies playing like on loop. You can get there halfway, leave in the middle, come back. It's a day at the movies. Yeah, that's what I want. I want uh, a movie theater where I can go into it because I have nowhere else to go. And I sit there in a piss-drenched seat, you know, surrounded by blood and cum, and somebody will stab me, and, you know, there's a Rene Bond movie playing on the screen. <laughs> Who knows when it's from, but it's playing. No, no, no. I want to see, like, the mixed-up shopping cart, and I can just wander in. Yeah. You know, like Matinee, one of those oh, movie one theaters. Of those. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, what's funny is that the Royal Cinema in Toronto, supposedly it's doing fine because it's doing all the editing business as well. Oh, well, because the Royal Cinema isn't even like primarily a movie theater. It's No, a, it's not. It's an editing studio by day. Movie theater by night. I think the staff of the Royal Theater probably aren't doing fine. No, they are not doing fine. So the ind- independent cinema, I think, will always be there because people will want to go see movies with a crowd of people will the multiplex survive yeah i don't know about that it sounds like that model cannot sustain itself very uh, well 